Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Uh, what's happening, everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of Crossed Up alongside Anthony Sanfilippo. I'm Bob Wankel, and the Phillies are 5-1. and one. Anthony, the Phillies are 5-1. and one. We're recording after the Philadelphia Phillies win five out of six games against the big, bad Atlanta Braves and the big, bad New York Mets. How are you feeling after this opening homestand that I don't think any of us in our right minds ever saw coming? No, Bob, after last week, I was prepared. I was hoping for three and three. I was prepared for two and four. And all on, I'm being all dead serious with this. Uh, that's what I was kind of thinking. I was saying to myself, if they could just go 500 against the Braves and Mets throughout the year, then I think we're in good shape. But they were one bad inning by one bad pitcher away from a, of two sweeps, potentially, against these two teams. They got great pitching from the bullpen overall. They got really good efforts from their starting pitching. Even even in the games that the starters weren't great, they at least battled and kept the team in the game. And finally, yesterday, the offense comes to life um, in, you know, in a way that we thought that it would, you know, or, you know, on most nights and finally had that big explosive game, you know, it's six games. We can't get overexcited over six games. But yes, we can. Yes, but, well, no. We but can. here's here's what I'm going to say about that. You can't get overexcited. You can't just sit here and say World Series. Now here we come. Right. But what you can say is, you know, the Braves and Mets took these two these, these six games seriously. They wanted to get off to good starts. There's no doubt about it. You could see it in their faces that the Braves were frustrated. The Mets, of course, they had the, the series in Washington that was canceled by COVID. So this was their opening series. They wanted to get off on the right foot. Those teams cared a lot about winning these games. And the Phillies just didn't let them. And so that's, that's the most positive sign for me because it t- says to me that this team is going to be different this year. Yeah, everybody points to 2019, right, when the Phillies swept the Braves at the start of the season. Like, well, they just did this two years ago, and you saw how that that turned out. But for me, the big difference here is that this was the Braves' best shot. You know, two years ago, the Braves had some starting pitching uh, issues. They they were using young guys, inexperienced guys that just weren't ready at that point in the season, and the Phillies took advantage of it. But this time around, you got the Braves' best shot. You certainly got the Mets' best shot here, uh, you know, at the beginning of this week. So what happens now for me, I kind of sit back and I look at this and say, okay, they're five and one. There are so many different positives though, to emerge from this. Like any bad team can rip off five out of six wins at at some point in the season. And there've been plenty of bad teams that have won a bunch of games at the start of a season before kind of cooling off. But when I look at what I saw for these six games in total, the thing that just jumps off the page at you, and we'll talk about the offense in a little bit, finally woke up yesterday, but the pitching, the pitching, the pitching. And I mean, you look at this, forget the bullpen, forget the starters. 
just across the board right now, after six games, Phillies pitchers have a 2-6-2 ERA, the fourth best ERA in all of baseball, the second best in the National League, with a 1.05 whip, and they're holding opponents to a 191 batting average. I mean, we'll talk about the bullpen and what that's done in a second. But the starting pitching has been just as good. I mean, to have those two units kind of performing at this high of a level this early on against offenses that are this good, really encouraging. Are they going to keep it up? Probably not. Are these numbers going to be this good a month from now? Probably not. But what you see when you watch this team is upside. You know, that's what you do see. It's, it's not fluky. You, you see actual guys coming in that can locate guys in the back of the bullpen that pitch with velocity, that can overpower. And so there should be some staying power to this performance. Maybe not to this extent, but I think that there's legitimate upside here. And I think it's been very much on display early on. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I'll give you two examples of what you're talking about. Um, and both instances are starting pitchers. But when you look at um, Matt Moore's start uh, against the Mets, you know, he now, here's a guy who's not expecting to pitch against Jacob deGrom, who now has to pitch against Jacob deGrom. Um, and, you know, he wasn't fantastic, um, but he, he got out of trouble because he knew he couldn't put his team in too big of a hole. And he pitched his way out of trouble even when he didn't have his best stuff. And then Nola yesterday certainly didn't have his best stuff, but found his way through. You know, he's able to make the Mets go, what was it, one for 10 with runners in scoring position? So he was in constant trouble, but every time he got in trouble, he figured his way out of it. And, you know, his he, you know, his curveball was good yesterday. Um, yeah, a couple of change-ups he threw. And then, man, the pitches that he threw to um, strike out Dominic Smith uh, at, 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 in, in the last pitch. That was the last pitch in the fourth we inning, right? We had Conforto with the bases loaded in the fourth to get out of that. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, to bear down there in that spot. Yeah. You know, you can talk about Aaron Nolan and say, well, you know, he's an ace and, and you really wanted to win that series. And he only gives you four innings. And what is that, especially after the Atlanta game, giving up the homer to Sandoval? But I look at it and say, you're not going to have it every time out. And it's not like he's never had a short outing before. In fact, you go back to the start of the 2019 season, he's made 48 starts. There have been eight times that he hasn't lasted five innings. But on most of those occasions, it's those bomb starts where, you know, uh, it's three and two thirds, six runs. Like he had one of those clunkers in Atlanta in the middle of last summer. He was able to avoid that. It wasn't four innings, five earned runs. It was four innings, one earned run because when he had to absolutely make a pitch, he did it. So 92 pitches over four innings yesterday. But to your point, good job by Philly starters again to limit damage. Matt Moore on Monday night, not great. Struggled a little bit with command, especially as the start went on. But he did just enough. And I mean, again, he only he, I think he pitched into the fourth inning as well. Right. That's not something that you want to see on a consistent basis, but at least it didn't completely get away from them. And a lot of that has to do with the bullpen and Brandon Kinsler on Monday night specifically. So here's a stat that I pulled at the end of yesterday's game. And I just said, you know, we talked about last year's bullpen, how bad it was. Are you ready for this? 2020 through six games, Phillies relievers. 16 and two-thirds innings pitched, 26 hits, 22 earned runs, nine walks, 15 strikeouts, and 11.88 ERA. Phillies relievers in 2021 through six games, 22 innings pitched, 15 hits, eight earned runs, 11 walks, 26 strikeouts, a 3.27 ERA. I mean, 
it, it probably doesn't come. And if, I asked, and if I asked you to Bob to pull Vince Velasquez out of that number, it, I, how much better is it? I did that because I'm a dork, and these are the things that I do. <laughs> pull Vince Velasquez out of that. It's 20 and two thirds innings pitch, 15 hits, four earned runs, seven walks, 22 strikeouts, and a 1.74 ERA. Yep. And let's talk a little bit about Vince Velasquez, who had a historic appearance against the Mets on Tuesday night. I believe he was the first pitcher to ever record four outs, walk four, allow four earned runs, uh, and have all four of those outs come via strikeout. So really weird appearance for him. But, you know, we can point at Vince Velasquez, who we've talked about on this show for a very long time, as a guy that, you know, we just don't really like the guy. And I've said it a million times. This is one where you could say Bob had it first. We've talked about guys coming out of the bullpen. If you can't locate early on, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how hard you throw the ball. You've got to be able to hit your spots with consistency. And you can't do that. And that's why you saw what happened the other night. That being said, as good as he was in the sixth inning of that game, Joe Girardi, man, like I know that Vince Velasquez is in the bullpen to be a multi-inning guy. But Vince Velasquez did not need to be a multi-inning guy in a one-run game the other night. Like, you got the one inning out of him. I know you're a little bit short in your bullpen. But, like, is that really the place to say, hey, Vince Velasquez, you're going to give us multiple innings? And I know he was really sharp in that sixth inning. But as soon as you see the command go a little bit, maybe move on. Yeah. I, I, the one thing I was a little surprised by with that, Bob, is that he didn't have somebody warming up until after he walked the bases loaded. I mean, you give up the first walk, okay. But when you start to see the second batter, it's not going well, then it's like you got to get somebody up, man, because you can't let this you, you can't let this implode on you. Um, and then it did. So, yes, I agree with you that Girardi should have had a, a, a reliever up sooner. Um, but, you know, Bob, you put it out there, you know, about Chase Anderson – uh, I, I think you put a tweet out about Chase Anderson through 80 pitches, whatever. And then just for fun, I replied to your tweet and said, you're going to see another 80 pitches over the next inning in the third. <laughs> now it wasn't another 80 pitches. It was only 40, but it was, it felt like 80. It felt like 800 <laughs> watching Velasquez. Yeah. And, and it's just amazing how sharp he was in that first inning to see how quickly it went. And he said, after the game, it was about once he went to the stretch, he lost comfort, but like, Come on, dude. Like, there's just always a – the thing with Vince Velasquez, it's like you listen to him talk and you go, seems like an okay guy. But, like, it's always – there's always, like, not an excuse, but, like, well, I was working on something from the stretch. And you're like, just do it. Stop. Just do yeah. it. Yeah. So that would be maybe the negative, the one negative that you can pull from this entire stretch of Agreed. baseball. So I'm glad that we've gotten it out of the way and we can move on. But the one thing I want to talk about now is you go into yesterday's game and you look at the offense and the offense have really been struggling ahead of yesterday's game. They win four out of five games. And in a way, I think that this is sort of an encouraging thing. The way that they were able to win games early on here, it was without big power, without multiple home runs, without tons of extra base hits, because you think you figure when, when you come up with the Phillies equation or formula for victory, it's going to be powered by the offense. And so to win a bunch of games early on against good pitching without doing that, Again, very, very encouraging development, I think. But yesterday, the bats finally woke up. So through those first five games, they had produced only two home runs and 10 extra base hits in 162 combined at-bats as a lineup. And then yesterday, they go out and they knock seven extra base hits. They hit three homers. And all of a sudden, all the bats woke up. Now, I got to be honest with you, the thing that I'm really encouraged by, because I think for Bryce Harper, it'll come. 
You know, I think the JT Real Muto, you don't have to worry about that. I think that we've seen enough from Alec Bohm already that we know that he's a seasoned hitter and that'll go to all fields. And yesterday he flashed some big time power, that homer out to left center. But the thing that I saw this week that encouraged me the most was a big question mark. And that question mark exists over at first base. I was, you know, you look at what Reese Hoskins did. And, and the start that he's gotten off to. And he has seven extra base hits after picking up three yesterday now in his first six games. Um, you know he's a momentum player. You need him to be off to a hot start. And, boy, he's he's been about as good as anybody in baseball right now through the first week of the season. Yeah, he has. He really has. And, and it's interesting, too, Bob, because, it, you know, I looked at the home run yesterday, for example, and I didn't necessarily think it was the – I didn't necessarily – you know, a great pitch to swing at, but when you're going good and you, and you feel it and you're have and you have it, you know, kind of rolling, those things happen for you. You know, he had a bloop. One of his five doubles was like a little bloop double. And you're like, Oh man, you know, that's what, that's a fortunate hit. But you know what, when you feel confident at the plate and you're, and you're being still being selective, but maybe not as selective, selective. And I think that's the one thing that I've noticed with him. He's still selective, you know, we've always talked about the number of pitches that he sees, but he's not hes not getting himself into those 0-2 counts like he used to. Like, he's actually finding himself in, in much better hitters' counts and, and actually taking, taking swings at those pitches, and that's where he's making contact. And, yeah, some of them are great hits and really nice contact. Some of them are a little bit lucky, but you create – as a good hitter, you create your own good luck and your own good fortune. And I think Reese is doing that a little bit by having – a less, slightly less patient approach at the plate, which is is kind of awkward to say for him because he's a very patient hitter. But I think that it, I think he's adjusted just a little bit to make it so that he's now I can still walk if I want to, but guess what? I'm going to swing at, at good pitches at the same time. Yeah, I mean, well, to your point, right? He had three multi-hit games in, in the series against the Mets. He's had 24 bats this season. You know how many walks he has? I think it's two, one. Zero. He hasn't taken a walk. Oh, he hasn't walked at all. Okay. Which is amazing. I mean, because when we talk about Reese Hoskins, right, we say, well, hey, listen, the one reason that he's going to hit number two is because of the on base. That no matter where he's at or where his swing's at, he's going to see a ton of pitches and he's going to work walks and he's going to find his way on. And I'll be honest with you. I'm actually encouraged by the fact that he hasn't walked yet because he yeah. is still seeing pitches. I mean, he had an at-bat yesterday. We put together, I believe, an eight- to nine-pitch at-bat, and you're like, okay, well, he's still up there. You're talking about being selective but being a little bit more aggressive. That's the case. You know, I want to see this guy swing the bat. And so I still believe that he's going to generate a, a huge number of walks just because of who he is as a hitter. But I'm okay with the fact that he's being more aggressive, that he's putting balls in play, especially if he's going to put them in play in the gaps or over the fence, you know, but when I look at Reese Hoskins right now, the biggest thing for me, there are so many players across baseball that if they get off the bad starts a week or two into the season, you say, no big deal. This guy has too much talent. He's too good. He'll simply correct himself moving forward. What we've seen now from Reese Hoskins over the last three years is just these wild swings in production. And it seems like things snowball positively for him and they snowball negatively for him. And so if you're the Phillies, if you could pick one guy where you're like, please get off to a hot start and maybe we can ride this thing, it's it's got to be Reese Hoskins. That's got to be the guy because, you know, he gets off to a, another one of these like two for 25s. He's second guessing himself again. And then, and then we're going through what we went through at the beginning of last season. So really encouraged by his start and really encouraged by the fact that 
these numbers are being put together without walks right now because that skill that doesn't just go away. Right. And, and, and it, I'm glad that I got it wrong when you asked me how many walks he had, because it goes to show I didn't look this up. Like, this wasn't like I'm looking it up and going, oh, he hasn't walked yet. I'm going to sit there and say he's you know, a little bit less patient. It's just it's just the eye test, man. I'm just watching him swing and I'm saying I'm seeing things that are different than in the past. Yeah. And, 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 and so that's that to me is what's encouraging about it is that it, it absolutely is a change in approach and one that's certainly benefiting him. And hopefully it's it's one that will benefit him, not just through a hot six games, but over the course of the season. Yeah, uh, no, absolutely. And, you know, if if you go down to Atlanta this weekend and it's like every series is going to be the test and there's always going to be a little bit, especially six games in where you're like, great start. Now show me, you know, now go down to Atlanta and, and you've got this pissed off Braves team that lost its four, first four games of the season before taking a doubleheader sweep of the Nationals on Wednesday. But like they owe you one, right? Like you just beat them up for, for a weekend. And then you turn right around and here you go again and you've got them again. Now you've got to go down there and it's going to be really interesting to see how this team plays on the road and responds. You know, the Phillies play at home over the last few years as underwhelming as the team has been overall. They played very well at home. So we know this team can win games at Citizens Bank Park. When they get out on the road, though, things get a little bit dicey. So that's going to be like the next dragon for this team to slay is go out, play some really good competition early on the road and hold up. You know, I'm not expecting the Phillies to go down to Atlanta and sweep the Braves this weekend. I don't, I don't think that's realistic. But can they go down there, win a game, maybe win a series? Yeah, that, that would be, to me, uh, you know, that's the next step. Now go out and do it on the road. And, and, and for me, when you look at this division, it's so cliche to say, like, well, it's early. It's only April. Like, these games matter. These games matter. We've talked about this for a month, about how great this division is and how the Phillies are playing from behind. They're going to be a third-place team probably. Is that enough to make a wild card? Go out and bury these guys early. Make the Braves make up five, six games on you right from the start. You know, maybe the Braves are a 95-win team, but if you're an 89-win team and you got that six-game lead on them right off the bat, all of a sudden come September, hey, you might have something. So – these games are not throwaway games. These games matter. They're important. They're in the division. And they're going to set the table and set the early season narrative of what these teams are. Yeah, and it's interesting, Bob. I'm going to, I'm going to take you back to the team that, you know, um, made you fall in love with, with baseball. And that's the 93 Phillies, who were a team that nobody expected to do anything. They were picked for last place in their division um, behind an expansion team. I mean, they were picked behind the, the Florida Marlins that year. Um and then they went out in April, got off to an eight and one start, 17 and five overall. And yeah, yeah, they did fall back to the pack a little bit. I mean, as the season progressed, you know, things got a little hairy down the stretch a little bit. They didn't, they should have locked it up at home and didn't. They had to win it out in Pittsburgh, win the division. But it was the importance of getting off to the start that they got off to in April that allowed them to be in that position where in September, hey, we might lose a few games, but we could still be in this and still have a chance to win the pennant. Um, you know, it, starts of seasons are huge in baseball. They really are. They dictate a lot. And it's, it's why it's no secret. You always hear people say, well, got teams that are in first place on Memorial Day, you know, 70, I think it's something in the 70s, 70 some percent, you know, either win the division or, or still make the playoffs. And he said, well, man, that's early in the season, Memorial Day. 
but just goes to show that if you take the opening of the season seriously, like that, that you can be in a, in a spot to, you know, really have a good chance come later in the year, because there are those dog days in the summer where, where things drag a little bit and you're like, ah, oh, man, here we go. But at the same time, you, if you give yourself the equity to be able to, to sustain losing five of seven in, you know, in July or August, uh, that it won't kill you, you know? And I think that's what, that's why it's important that the Phillies do well here. Yeah. You know, it's interesting too. If you look at the probable pitching matchups going into this weekend, I, I don't want to say that the Phillies have the advantage in all three games, but I mean, it certainly stacks up in a way where they should be competitive. There's really no reason that they can't win two out of three games when you go down there and, and look at how this thing stacks up. I mean, you have Zach Wheeler right now who is coming off a start that I'm not even really sure what to make of Zach Wheeler's start last Saturday. I mean, you can talk about seven innings and one hit and a bunch of ground balls and that's all fine. And well, like that's Zach Wheeler. But the thing that jumps off the page at you is that he had 10 strikeouts yeah. in that game and generated more swings and misses than he typically generates. And that makes some sense given that the guy's consistently hammering down at 98, 99 miles an hour, but he's never been that swing and miss guy with, with great consistency. And last Saturday against the Braves, he had that type of game. Now he gets the same lineup again, six days later, they'll make adjustments. Will he make adjustments? It's a really, really fascinating start on Friday night because if if he can, and, and part of what makes Zach Wheeler great is that he can induce that weak ground ball contact and it keeps him very efficient with his pitch counts, and, and that's what he did for the Phillies last year. But if if he can add an extra element of, of generating just a few more swings and misses per game, maybe generates maybe two more strikeouts per game, you're talking about a totally different class of pitcher at that point. Yeah. So yeah. – yeah, I mean, you know, you know, you know, I've said it on the show last week when I, you know, we talked about our season predictions and the one thing that can go right, one thing that can go wrong. And I was not convinced that Zach, even after last season, because again, I, I looked at it as just 12 starts in a weird year, but he, I was not convinced that Zach Wheeler is a real two. Like I, like I think, yeah, I'm not saying he's a bad pitcher, but I think, you know, if you look at his career, Wheeler's kind of most more been more like a three than he's been like a two. And so if, if, if you have two threes, which isn't bad in him and Eflin, um, is it enough, you know? And so that was my one concern. Maybe that's what the difference between the Phillies being a playoff team and a non-playoff team that start last week, statistically was the best Philly start since Halliday's perfect game. I mean, and, and that's no joke. Like it, no pitcher had gone seven innings with 10 strikeouts and one hit since Halliday. So uh, that, that just goes to show that it's a, a type. You can't expect it to be repeated. That said, if Wheeler now, you know, last year was really good. If, if, if it's, he's going into a second season here in the prime of his career as a pitcher, uh, of being that really good pitcher, then the Phillies are in, in, in a really good spot if that's where he's headed. And it'll be interesting, like you said, to see the same lineup so soon, you know, and you know the Braves are going to approach him differently. The one thing I thought about that game was really kind of interesting is I thought that the Braves were really aggressive early in the count against him. And I, I guess it's because they know he throws fastballs. They know he's not typically a strikeout pitcher. So I guess their approach was go get, go get us. You know, you see a, a fastball that's going to be a strike, go get it. And they couldn't get it. Right. Um, and, and whatever Wheeler was doing kind of was 
kind of surprised them, I think, a little bit or threw them off a little bit. So you know they're going to be prepared for it. Like you said, it'll be interesting to see how Wheeler now attacks them coming off of that game just five days later. Yeah, and then and then Saturday or uh, yeah, I guess in Saturday's game you get Zach Eflin, right? Who that's that's my boy. Yeah, yeah. we're talking about how much we think that Zach Eflin can take a, a step forward uh, in this season, and he was great against the Braves as well. And the thing that was really interesting about his start, you know, you look at Zach Eflin through the years, and it's like he either has it or he doesn't, right? And in the first inning of his game on Sunday against the Braves. He goes out and he throws, I believe, 23 pitches to get through the inning. And he, it's a scoreless inning, but you go, okay, like he's only going to give you four or five. He goes out, he gets the next 18 outs of the baseball game in 57 pitches. And you go, my goodness, like to be that efficient, or as Joe Girardi likes to say, economical uh, with his pitch count and, and to get back and give them length in that baseball game on Sunday against the Braves to complete that sweep, extremely impressive. Same deal, though. You come back, you're getting a really good lineup here that didn't have success a weekend ago. And, you know, can you replicate that performance or can you give them enough that the offense does a little bit more than they did against the Braves in that series, too? And, you know, I mean, the Braves pitchers are in the same spot. You know, Ian Anderson had a nice game. You know, he's going to see this lineup again, though. Charlie Morton was good for four innings in the first start. And then he blew up in the fifth. He's going to see this lineup again. So then, you know, and then it gets all capped off. And I, I believe is Sunday night, if I'm not mistaken, is that a uh, is that a national game on Sunday? I believe night? it is. Yes. And I think the nation's going to be treated to, if I'm not mistaken, Drew Smiley, former Phillies legend, and uh, yeah. Matt Moore. So a battle of uh, two very okay left-handed pitchers. Yes. <laughs> But uh, it would be interesting to see I, what lineup the Phillies are going to go with in, the, in, in that game. Um, because there was, to me, one other negative that is still purveying through this, this team right now. It was the talk of the spring, and it's still the talk of – to me, it's still the talk of April, is that center field is not resolved by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Hazley has been whatever at the plate, but, boy, he made a bad play in the outfield – uh, in that in that Velasquez game, that was that was just ugly. That was like, oh man, you can't make that play. And and Roman Quinn, while he's better in the outfield, you know, and and he did throw out a runner at the plate uh, in the Braves game, even though it was a two hopper uh, on the throw. It was right there. Um, he struck out what six times and eight at bats so far this year. So it, to me, it's the one thing. And you know, say, well, he's the, it's the number eight hitter. Why do you care so much? it's it's not not as productive as even a number eight hitter should be in my mind and and so i wonder bob even even though they got all this goodwill going right now do the phillies cash in on that goodwill with their fan base and make the move to bring oduble up i was hoping that maybe we could wait a shower too <laughs> before we did this well i mean it's 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 the one other negative besides velasquez it's the one thing that kind of lingered um, with this team over the first six games. You're right. Um, I agree with you. Uh, and I will say Adam Hazley had that, that misplay uh, against the Mets. He also uh, had a misplay, I believe, on Sunday afternoon against Ian Anderson. You know, Ian Anderson hit a line drive or like a quasi-line drive fly ball, and Hazley was shaded a little bit towards right field. Uh, the ball kind of just like got away from him, and he sort of took this like banana route to the ball, and it just mm -hmm. dinked in front of him. You're like, that that ball should have been caught, you know? Yeah. Like, and it's not like a, a must have like 99 out of a hundred, but it's like a, 
it was like a, a 90 out of a hundred type of play. And I'm like, yeah. okay, like, you know, I know I've been a little bit critical of him. Like we actually, if you look at our, our show reviews on Apple, I saw it was a five-star rating, but it's like, go easy on Hazley. And I'm like, all right, like, okay, I get, I get it. Like, and I think we, I think I've been fair. Like, I'm just saying like, yes. And, and I think you've been fair too. Like, He's David DeLucci. He's a fourth outfielder. Like, these aren't insults, you know? Like, no. I'm not slinging mud at the guy. Yeah. I just don't think he's an everyday center fielder. Like, I just don't think that. And, you know, so you have a couple misplays, and, like, things are going to happen. I'm not going to kill the guy for that, but what is he through the first week? I think he's hitting 286. I, I believe he had, like, an infield single somewhere along the way. His OPS is under 700. Like, he, he's not driving the baseball with consistency. Like, that's what I want to see. Like, and, and that's the issue. The guy hasn't homered since 2019. Like yeah. it's, it's time to start driving the ball with a little bit of authority. And, and that's the complaint that I have there. If you're not going to be uh, a plus defender, if you're not going to be a guy that can swipe bags, like you've got to have some trait that is, you know, a plus trait. And so we haven't seen that yet. Maybe again, in all fairness, it's, it's early. It's only six games. Maybe we'll see it. Roman Quinn, who, if you go back and you listen to our shows over the last couple of years, like I like Roman Quinn for the reason that I just said, he has a plus characteristic, a plus trait as a baseball player. The speed is electric. He helped win them a game on opening day with that throw to the plate. He's got a good arm. It was good play. Like that's a positive, but he's got nine bats this season. He's hitless and he struck out in seven of them. And that was the whole thing this spring. Like, you've got to put the ball in play more. He's working on a swing to try to make more contact. If he could just put the ball on the ground, he could be a 260 hitter, even though he's not a, a truly gifted player or a gifted offensive player. But he's not hitting the ball. And so I think it's too soon to say, yeah, hey, Joe, because it's a question that's com it's coming from me. I actually almost asked it. <laughs> On Tuesday afternoon when they were 4-0, and I just decided, let's not, you know, like, let's not be that guy. But it's coming. Like, at what point do you have to say, yeah, I mean, like, they took a month. They took five weeks in Clearwater to make their decision about center field. Clearly, they, they didn't have a ton of conviction when they made that decision. It has to be evolving pro an evolving process. Joe Girardi said it you know, on several occasions, just because the roster is something on opening day doesn't mean that that's what it's going to be on May 1st or June 1st. Well, I think that that principle has to apply to center field. Yeah. So I don't know if it's Odubel Herrera. I don't know if these guys that they have up here start playing better, but like certainly something to keep an eye on because they need more than what they're getting out of the center field position right now. I didn't add it up, but if you take Roman Quinn's 0 for 9 and put it together with Adam Hazley's limited number of at-bats in which he's hitting 286 with like a 680-something OPS. That's not adequate production from a center fielder on a playoff team, unless you're going to get otherworldly starting pitching and otherworldly performances from your bullpen, which maybe that's the formula for this team's success. I, I wonder how quickly Dombrowski would look to fix that position, if, especially if the team continues to play well. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, is, is it something that you, you look at and say, we need that now? Or can you put it off until the end of July for the trade deadline? So here's the concern. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I were the, the GM of the Philadelphia Phillies or if I were Dave Dombrowski, 
And I didn't have to take the morality or the, the backlash or the public response into consideration. And I evaluated those players and, and throw out the stat lines. Oduble Herrera would have been on the opening day roster if I was picking it. Mm-hmm. I understand all the reasons that he was not. And, you know, they, they were very honest. You know, they said he had to really go out and win that job for us to do something here. And he, he didn't. You know, I think right. that that's fair. But if I just said – from a talent standpoint and evaluation standpoint, I would have put them on the roster. And yeah, I mean, it's an insurance policy they have. You said, I think they use the, the phrase, will they cash in on it? I don't know. I think if they wanted to upgrade their production, they do it. But the concern is, and I think this is a real consideration is when things are going well and things are rolling in a positive direction, even if there is a weakness or there are a, you know, a couple of weaknesses do you want to tinker with certain things? And in this case, it's, it's a big thing. You know, when you talk about chemistry and you don't really know, guys said the right things in the media, but you don't know where this team's at on Oduble Herrera. Mm-hmm. You know, have they truly forgiven this guy? If he came back, would he be embraced? Or, you know, would he be the outcast? Would they be like, I can't believe this guy's here? You know, I don't know how the rest of that clubhouse would respond to Oduble Herrera. So when things are rolling in such a positive direction, I do think you run the risk of, 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 potentially altering the clubhouse dynamics, which I wouldn't want to mess with at this point. So I wouldn't do it today. Yeah. But if we're talking about this in the first week of May, you know, and we're talking about Adam Hazley kind of being inconsistent defensively and hitting 255 with like three extra base hits and Roman Quinn striking out in 70% of his at-bats. You know, I, I think that's something that, yes, you would have to reevaluate the situation at that point. Yeah. I mean, because really, I mean, the only other thing that I think you look at this roster and say what's missing is a right-handed bat off the bench. They don't really have that. I mean, your two, your top two pinch hitters are Miller and Joyce, both lefties, neither of which are really any good against lefties, um, uh, career-wise. You know, not saying in, in this season particularly, but career-wise. And you don't really have a right-handed pinch hitter. I mean, and I guess you know, once again, Andrew Knapp is is your is your guy who you would go to in, in a key situation when you need a right-handed pinch hitter. So I think that that's another thing that you know. They're going to be Dombrowski and Fold are going to be looking at um, as the season progresses is maybe making something there because you can't rely on Ronald Torres to be, you know, your right handed bat off the bench. Um, So, so that's why I say that it's like, you know, the Phillies are going to, you know, they're probably going to make some additions as the season goes on, goes along and center field might be their primary target, but you got to remember if there are other things that they need to do, then if you can, if you can, take a chance to rectify it internally first before looking elsewhere, then maybe that's why it's, that would be the wise thing to do. And, and, yeah. and my, and my thought process is you probably get away with it a little bit more when the team's going good than you would when the team is going bad. I, I agree with that. I mean, if the Phillies are off to a one and five starter, you know, let's project this out two weeks from now and the Phillies yeah. are, you know, six and 17 and here comes a double Herrera. <laughs> right. Right. I don't think that's going to go over too well. Exactly. No. But yeah, I, I think that from a from a an evaluation standpoint, from a process standpoint, you have to use the guy you have before you go out and try to trade pieces to, to go in and acquire somebody, right? Like you have this very 
obvious answer. Not saying it's the right answer or that it's going to work out, but it's certainly an option. You have an obvious option, I should say. And I think you have to utilize that option before you go outside the organization to try to rectify the issue. Agree. But to, to be fair, right? Like, you know, and again, I'm all, this is the Adam Hazley fairness podcast. That's what I, I believe we are. That's, That's the title I, of the show this that, week. Yeah, the Adam Hazley Fairness Podcast. I mean, we love Alec Boom, right? He's hitting 227 with a 644 OPS. Yeah. Hey, Adam Hazley's hitting 286 with a 643 OPS. So, I mean, they both have like the same OPS. Adam Hazley's hitting a little bit better than Alec Boom. And so, really, I mean, he's, you gotta, you gotta acknowledge that Adam Hazley's better than Alec Boom at this point, right? So. That's my attempted. That's my attempted fairness on that front. Um, so stay tuned because I agree with you, and I, I wasn't going to bring it up because I wanted to to you know piss positive for forty five minutes today. But you are a a dark dark cloud, and you've made me go down this road. That's right. And now you just earned us another five star review with that positive. Yeah, yeah but I did. So uh, real quick, I actually uh, I have some commitments today. I don't have to go on a, you know, Canadian uh, national radio to talk about <laughs> hockey or anything. But uh, as you know, I I double as a uh, high school varsity baseball coach and uh, I have practice. soon. so I got about uh, five or 10 minutes here before Wait, I you have guys have practice at 9 a.m. Spring break. Spring break. Oh, I'm gonna, I was going to say, when, how are they supposed to be in class? Oh, yeah, no, no. We uh, we get them in, get them out on spring break. So uh, our, our regular season's uh, approaching here. And so we, we have practice this morning. So that's very exciting. Make sure that you uh, you follow Triton Baseball for uh, for all the. Uh, are, you, are you guys doing a shortened season or? No, we've actually uh, we're fortunate. Some of the other sports have um, had shortened or modified seasons uh, to an extent. I think that there was a little bit more of a focus. Number one, spring sports are, are outdoors, so it's a little bit easier with some of the restrictions and stuff. And, you know, frankly, our seasons were all wiped away last year. And I think that right. there's a little bit more um, thought, you know, of, hey, let's try to give them every opportunity to have a normal season. So we'll play a, a typical schedule. It's just a delayed a couple of weeks. Usually okay. we start April 1st. We start April 19th. Uh, okay. So that's that's enough for your South Jersey high school baseball update. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just curious. Yeah, I know. I, yeah, it's all good. It's Everyone's all good. Excited. A lot of positive things are happening out there. So that's all fine and well. Yeah. Um, one other thing, uh, you know, just in terms of, of things that jumped out, right? Because I think that that's what this show is all about. You, you finally get to see some real baseball. You get six games to sort of sample. I hate that they're off on Thursday. Like, I, I it drives me nuts. I know that these guys early in the season, they build in these schedules to – to let the players acclimate and travel and, and sort of get their feet on the ground. But like, especially when you're playing well, like get back out there, let's go. Uh, but you look at Andrew McCutcheon, he had a little bit of a rough start to the, uh, you know, the season here uh, through six games. I don't know about where you're, you are on Andrew McCutcheon, but I actually don't have any concerns. Um, I still think that there, there's an on-base skill there. I still think that he he's going to eventually hit in, in probably the high 200s. I would imagine that he's going to be somewhere in the high 700s with the OPS when it's all said and done. He looks mostly healthy to me. I just don't think that he's quite got his timing yet. Um, but I've, I've heard some people, I've seen some things on Twitter. People are like, hey, is he going to wake up? What's he doing? Um, I, I don't. I don't have any concerns about Andrew McCutcheon at this point. No, I, I don't. I, and I and I like the fact that you know they were smart enough to, you know, against Stroman to kind of get give him a uh, give him a game off. Um, you know, they gave Joyce the start. I was thought it was weird that Matt Joyce was leading off. That, yeah, that, game. Was, that, that was, was, was a little odd. But um, nevertheless, you know, you know they're going to manage his his games so that he's not 
over overplaying and, 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 you know, wearing down a little bit, but I'm not concerned. I mean, he's still drawn a few walks already this year. Right. I mean, so he, he still has that on base skill, like you said, and I think that the bat will come around as he, you know, reacclimates his swing to, to major league pitching at, at, you know, at the highest level. Yeah. He got on base twice yesterday in five plate appearances. I believe he was one for four. And I'm, I'm pretty yeah. sure he mixed in a walk there. So yeah. you know, that's the thing where I go, wait a minute, you know, there are things yeah. that you can look at maybe a week from now, this bullpen's a mess again and starting pitching takes a step back and, and we're, we're singing a very different tune than we are right now, but there are just certain things where, you know, you can only go by what you see. And so you, you have to react to what you see and we haven't seen a lot. So I, I understand when fans look at something and, and it's not going well and you, you kind of go, Ooh, you know, but when you look at guys with track records and you look at guys that, that should in theory, as long as they're healthy produce, I just can't get overly amped up about, you know, a, a 179 start for Andrew McCutcheon. I, I don't have those concerns there. Um, one other thing, we talked about the bullpen, a guy that I want to just highlight in particular, other than the, the Jose Alvarado experience, man, like we said it, like, and everyone said it, like, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a roller coaster. Oh, I think it's going to be a wild ride and a roller coaster with him for sure. Uh, even, even the other night on Monday when he's, he's uh, pitching in the ninth inning, he comes out and just blows away the first two guys, two quick outs, and then it gets a little bit weird. <laughs> it gets a little dicey. Yeah. Yeah, And then, you know, you go back to opening day, things got very weird, you know, yeah. bases, strikes out the side. It was, it was, it's crazy. I mean, he really is, uh, he's entertaining. I'll give him that. But the guy I really wanted to focus on is Hector Naris, who has appeared in four of the Phillies first six games. And he's been perfect to this point. Um, you know, there was some talk and some concern about Joe Girardi going to Hector Naris as, as the closer out of the gate with this team. And so far, that has been the right move and a move that's paid off. And I think as you evaluate this bullpen, Joe Girardi was maybe out on the head of the curve here a little bit. I think Hector Naris is going to have his games. But when you look at Archie Bradley, Jose Alvarado, and Hector Naris, it's pretty clear to me that Hector Naris best fits that ninth inning profile. Yeah, and, and I wonder, Bob, if it's a situation where – Naris feels more comfortable now knowing he has those other decent arms around him. Whereas maybe in the past it was like, who else do I have out here? Yeah. Like if I'm not, if I'm off, yeah. who else can do this role? And there really wasn't anyone there. Um, and, and so maybe he just feels more comfortable with the, the, the pitchers around him. And I think that that's, that helps you get off to a better start mentally as you approach approach the game I mean and you didn't even mention your boy Connor Brogdon who's one got three of the five wins for the Phillies Connor Brogdon's <laughs> on pace I believe for 81 wins this year <laughs> so so like you know it's it, you know the, the bullpen's got some got some life to it and um and I think that that helps Naris. I just think it just it makes it a little bit easier to come into those situations he's not coming into games where it's you know here comes the closer and it's you know two men on base and you're trying to protect a one run lead and you need two outs. Yeah. Right. I mean, he's not coming into the, I mean, it's a high leverage situation, but it's not the fireman situation. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, and I think that that's, that's okay. That helps him a little bit. And yeah. I mean, he's going to have his games, you know, we're going to sit here and be like, Oh, there goes Hector, you know, gives, gives up the long ball, blows a save, whatever the case might be. That's going to come. It's going to come to be, but I mean, I think that, I think that the, having better options around him makes him a better pitcher as well. It was interesting, and and I guess it's it's partly because of just where they were at in the bullpen. 
But I was surprised, I guess, that we saw Hector Neris in the ninth inning of a, an 8-2 game yesterday. I mean, I know they were off the following day. I, I, I guess I get that. But, you know, they were down both long men. That was the one thing about Aaron Nola going four innings, uh, you know, on, on Wednesday. We're recording Thursday morning. Um, you don't have David Hale. You don't have Vince Velasquez. You went through Coonrod. You went through Brogdon. Um, you know, I guess they, they wanted to kind of protect some other guys and Hector Naris technically was, was fresh. So they use them, but I, I am like a little bit worried. I'm like, yo, Joe, that's that six games. We've seen four times already. Like, Ooh. yeah. And I guess, like I said, I, I, like you said, I think it was, I think it was, um, you know, looking at the schedule, you, you know, he didn't pitch, uh, to, what was it? He didn't pitch Tuesday, right? Yeah. What so he it? didn't pitch Tuesday because he didn't have to. Uh, right. because they, they lost. Right. And then I believe he, he was unavailable on Monday night, right? Monday night, right. And then you knew you had the off day on Thursday. So, so it, was, it was getting I him a game it. out of – I mean, he, it was one day out of four. Yeah. He didn't want him to go four and, days and without that's and, and I think that that's why. You had that yeah. building off day on, on Thursday, and I think because of that, he was, he was more comfortable doing it. But when you just look at it and say, okay, six games, four appearances. <laughs> yeah, well, the, the bigger surprise to me, Bob, was that he pitched – in each of the Braves games. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, pitched all three. I mean, so that was the, like, you would think you would have gotten one day off there, which goes to show you the urgency that the, the team approached yeah. that series with. And, yeah. and I think the urgency that should be on display from both sides this weekend uh, down in Atlanta. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, that's, that's probably why it happened when it happened, but the surprise to me was three days in a row for Hector Naris to start the season. So do you have any one last things? Or I like don't. I, I didn't. I was, any yeah. interesting observations from around the league or any, anything like that before we get out of here? Or? No, I don't. I don't have anything. Uh, you know, but I, I think I'm going to have a lot more. Um, I, I bit the I bit the bullet finally, and I got that the MLB package uh, through Amazon Prime. Um, and so, like, I'm I find myself sitting here watching a lot of baseball, especially the West Coast games at night. Uh, well, that's great because <laughs> I, I gotta say, like, I am such a like a one trick pony when it comes to Major League Baseball. Like, I was we were talking before the show, you're like, were you down there for all six games? No, no, but I was I was there covering five of the first six games, and I haven't watched a single minute. Actually, that's a lie. I saw the Angels play on Sunday night for about two innings. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I read the box scores. I look at what's going on around the league, but you know, follow on Twitter, but I haven't gotten to watch any other teams play yet. So I have no idea what the hell's going on. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm such a baseball degenerate that I found myself watching uh, Arizona, Colorado last oh. night and Rockies won that game eight, nothing. And I'm like, I watched two of those teams in baseball play baseball. Yeah. What does that say about me? Right. You just like the <laughs> rhythm of the game. So, yep. Exactly. All right. Well, Phillies are five and one. They're in first place. They'll look to keep it going this weekend against the Atlanta Braves. For Anthony Sanfilippo, I am Bob Wankel. Leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure that you download us, follow us, like us, tell other people about us and all that good stuff. Thanks for listening.